we have this sort of assumption that by knowing things, we will change things. But as we're clearly seeing in the world now, knowledge alone is not what creates change. I mean, we've known for a long time about a lot of the crises that we're facing now, and we haven't acted. So as many people can also relate to in their personal lives, knowing that we need to change and then actually changing our are two quite different things. You know, change is really, really hard for most of us. So, yeah, that's why I work with the body and movement and somatic practices, because I feel, you know, a lot of the key information is really in the body. That's Petra Bongartz, my guest for this June full moon episode. Petra has a background in movement and somatics, as well as in international development work. And she came to my attention because she's serving the great turning right now by supporting individual change makers to feel more clear and inspired and resourced so they can be the powerful force for change that they are meant to be. We cover a lot of ground in this conversation, a few of my favorite parts being what you just heard and talking about unfreezing parts of ourselves that we've kept very still, and how even when we're seeking to contribute to a more life-sustaining society that isn't all about the drive for more, for extraction and production, we can engage with our work in a way where we feel that we ourselves are not enough and should always be more, more, more. So if you can relate to that, I think you'll really enjoy our conversation. Three things you might like to hear about briefly before we dive in with Petra. First, I'm excited to bring back New Moon episodes starting most likely in August, and I'm going to be doing short news episodes. As you know, if you get my emails, and if you don't, and you would like to, just come to turningseason.com, and down at the bottom you can sign up for email updates. But I shared recently that I was listening to NPR the five-minute podcasts, and just getting this quick burst of what felt like, okay, here's everything we think you should know. These very quick kind of updates, a mix of the upsetting, worrisome, and pop culture or sports things that I weren't sure were relevant to me at all. But the, it was the, the vibe of here's everything you need to know, your quick updates, that made me think about how I would love short bursts of news like that that are about the great turning. Because yes, I should know the stuff that's on the NPR news podcasts, most of it anyway. But I also should know about the people in Ecuador finding ways to protect indigenous rights and intact ecosystems. I also should know about the folks in Duluth with their Rights of Nature campaign. I also should know about the young people, middle schoolers, beginning to talk about deep adaptation. So my intention with these short news episodes is to give you three to five things I think you should know, continue the doses of active hope, but not always in conversation form. Just deliver you some inspiring, heartening, interesting news of the great turning. So if that's something you think you would like, be sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you're listening and sign up to get emails from me. I email about twice a month with these new podcast episodes and any new videos or articles I've recently posted about practical wisdom from Chinese medicine or dream work and my own ongoing journey here with you in the great turning. And secondly, I wanted to share 
that I'll be hosting a workshop in mid-July devoted to helping you maximize your innate ability to heal. We are all healable by nature. And if you've had the experience of doing the diet changes, taking the supplements, getting the acupuncture, you know, all the things that we try, all the interventions that we add, and just not getting the results that you want. I wonder if you might be like so many people I've worked with, like myself included, who don't have the basic foundations covered. In that workshop, we'll be talking in light of the five elements of Chinese medicine, five ways that we can very simply, plastic-free, you know, uh, no cost, no tech, maximize our innate ability to heal. So the date and the sign-up link for that will come out through email and also on my social media. And thirdly, I wanted to share that I'm recently coming out of and honoring my pain phase of the spiral and moving into seeing with new eyes. And part of what helped me see with new eyes this time around the spiral was watching Nina and Helena Gualinga at the recent Bioneers conference talking about their community, the Sariaku community in Ecuador, and what happens there in order for oil to be extracted largely by Chevron, and mostly shipped to California, and suddenly feeling connected in a way that I never had before to the harm that's done in the process of extracting the oil that becomes the gas that I fill my car with. And that whatever rationalizing I'd been doing about how, well, it's not that big of a deal if I fill my gas tank and drive, it's a hybrid anyway, and my carbon footprint is probably 0.00001 or whatever of the the global problem, it brought home for me that I'm filling my car with the actual substance that was pulled out of the ground there and all the profound harm that was done in that process to the people and the other living beings of that place. And how not okay that is with me to be participating in that process without even fully being aware of it. I also, around that time, listened to Stan Rushworth in the short documentary, Living in the Time of Dying. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but he talked about focusing on the present in comparison to focusing on the past or the future. And where that took me was to... How when we talk about the future, changing for the sake of the future, it's very easy to get into debates where people think, oh, our our predicament or our situation is not so bad. We don't need to change that much. And also people who think, yeah, it's truly a predicament. There's nothing we can do. No change that you make is actually going to save us. And yet when we talk about the present... It's totally different because in the present, it's not okay to be doing that to people, doing that to ecosystems. And in the present, it's not okay to be extracting the minerals that we need to, let's say, make more solar panels from places where all the local people are actively objecting, as is generally the case when there's extraction anywhere. They say, no, you can't come in and do this in our home that's already not okay, even if we don't want to have the debate about whether 
solar energy is going to save us or save our lifestyle or whatever we might hope that it could do. And also leaning into the guidance from most spiritual and wisdom traditions that I've been exposed to, as well as modern physics, that the vibration with which we do things matters and lasts beyond us. So maybe living in a loving, life-affirming way right now actually matters the most and makes the most difference. So I'm leaning into this question, what does it mean to live in a loving and life-affirming way? How will that guide me? And I'm curious how that strikes you and how that type of present focus of living in right relationship right now with other humans in the living earth, how that would guide you. All right. Thank you for listening to those three things I wanted to share. And let's jump into this conversation with Petra. You're listening to Turning Season Podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Navar, here with your dedicated dose of active hope. I'm delighted to bring you these conversations with the inspired individuals who are collectively shifting us to a life-sustaining society. You'll hear from all kinds of healers and change makers playing their unique part in the great turning. From healing personal trauma to visionary thinking, decolonization to building composting toilets, new innovations to bridging social divides, there are thousands of reasons and ways to participate. Keep listening to find out more of what's being done already and what's possible. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and come to turningseason.com to connect. My guest today is Petra Bongartz. Petra is a facilitator and a coach who supports personal and collective change through movement, trauma-informed somatic and earth-based practices. Her work is grounded in her extensive training in movement medicine, studies in somatic trauma therapy, the work that reconnects, process work, and neuroplasticity. She also has a background in international development work with communities, NGOs, and governments in Africa, Asia, and Europe around behavior change. Petra is passionate about supporting people to make their unique contribution to an equitable and life-sustaining world for all. She believes we're each on our own journey of being a change maker, and this can take many expressions, all of which are needed in the world. And I'll quote, when we come home to our bodies, we come home to the world and find our place in the web of life. From that place of belonging, we find the meaning, purpose, and direction we long for. Inner and outer change becomes possible. So welcome, Petra. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you, Lilani. It's really a pleasure to be here. I so love listening to your podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to get to connect more deeply with you here and, and just hear more about how you're supporting all of these change makers. It's really heartening for me to know what you're doing in the world. Mm, yeah, likewise. Mm. So we connected because of the work that Reconnects Forum, and I know that the work that Reconnects and Joanna Macy have been 
some of many influences on your work. And I'd like to start with this question about the great turning and the three stories of our time that we tell in the work that reconnects. And I'm wondering where you find yourself now and how you feel that that all this work you're doing is fitting into the idea of the great turning that we're even as business as usual is continuing and here you and I are on zoom, Mm. (laughs) you know, and, and even as the great unraveling happens around us day by day, you know, how are you viewing the great turning and viewing your part in that? Yeah, it's a great question to start off with. Yeah, I mean, as you said, I mean, we're all in, in all three of those all the time, of course, because unless we're living as a, as a hermit somewhere on a mountaintop, I think it's pretty hard to not be part of the business as, as usual in some way, shape or form because of the systems that we're in. But in terms of the, the great unraveling and the great turning, I guess I would say that, you know, the great unraveling is as much an unraveling of the institutions and the systems around us, um, as we are seeing so clearly all over the world, uh, as it is also an unraveling of what's within us, the stories and the, the patterns and the identities that we've sort of lived in for so long and so for me there's something you know that that's mirroring the the outer in the inner landscapes the you know asking ourselves questions about who we really are and um, what's really meaningful to us what matters to us and I think as as we're seeing what's unraveling around us obviously all the institutions and the stories that we've clung to for so long and the things that were meant to give us meaning and structure are revealing themselves to be less than adequate and so we're left with really just turning within and turning to each other to ask you know so what is what is the new story or what is the thing that makes more sense to us that gives us more meaning and purpose in our lives than these old stories that we've relied on for so long so yeah that that's for me is part of the the great unraveling but it's also an inner unraveling and I guess, you know, in many traditions, you call that the, the dark night of the soul. And as much as for some people that happens as a sort of moment in time or, a, a, you know, a phase in time, I think it's also a, a longer um, period for many people of, of spir- spiraling around this question of like, you know, what am I really here for? And um, what's my relationship with the systems around me, the world around me? and to keep negotiating that I think I mean I since I've listened to some of your podcasts I know you've you've spoken about this yourself as well this kind of constant conversation we have within us about you know who we are in relationship to the world and where our place is and what is ours to do now and um, I guess that brings me also then to the great turning I mean that what's ours to do you know what are we here what are we here for and um what can we not just do, but what, what's also our being that wants to come through? What's our, our sole purpose or what's our you know, particular gift that we bring to the world that doesn't always look like a, a doing or it doesn't always look like a job, but that might be in the way we inhabit ourselves, the way we relate to other people, to the world, to the web of life. Um, 
yeah, as I said, there's this, for me, there's like many different ways to be part of the great turning and some of them don't explicitly look like a sort of activist role or uh, being out in the world doing things. Some of them are also very much about cultivating um, new stories, cultivating new ways of being. Yes, absolutely. I love the way that in your answer, I heard how how much you interweave personal, inner, outer, collective self-understanding mm-hmm. and transformation and and the great turning that we're in and and how that is that can manifest in in as many different ways, you know, as we could possibly imagine. I'm wondering yeah. how I know that you're you're supporting people one on one and in groups who are who are on this you know trail of finding what is ours to give, what is my mind to pick up in this time. And I love the quote that you have from Bill Plotkin on on one of your pages on your website about finding our gift. I, I can't quote it exactly, but finding our mm. gift to bring right now isn't about saving the world, but about fully belonging to it, fully yeah. being here and being ourselves. And I'd love to hear more about how you're supporting people in that, in finding what's theirs to give and, and feel that sense of belonging, especially how you're bringing somatics and movement into it as a way of, of knowing what's going on in ourselves. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the body is really the sort of the central, uh, one of the central themes in all of this, because without knowing what's happening in ourselves how can we know what's going on in the world you know the body is our our gateway to the world through the senses through through being in a body and moving in the world and of course the body is also the place where all the cultural and familial and personal and collective history and stories are inscribed so that you know our nervous system is shaped from the moment from beyond from before the moment we're born really from way before we are we are already shaped by the cultural narratives, by the familial narratives that are there about you know what's going on. Our nervous system picks up on the trauma that's in the family. Our nervous system is shaped by the trauma that we may experience ourselves, and of course also by the trauma that's that's all around us. The systemic uh, trauma that is there, the both the big and the kind of more. Um, subtle trauma that is going on so for me the body is both the place where you know the information is held about the wounding about the yeah the things that are keeping us separate but it's also the place where the healing happens because it's for me really the central place where we can affect change for me the we have this sort of assumption that by knowing things we will change things but as we're clearly seeing in the world now knowledge alone is not um not what creates change I mean we've known for a long time about a lot of the crises that we're facing now and we haven't acted Mm -hmm. and I'm sure as many people can also relate to in their personal lives knowing that we need to change and then actually changing are are two quite different things you know change is really really hard for most of us and even if we want change to take the next step can be very very difficult and partly that's because our our nervous system is so geared towards protecting us and and towards our survival so old stories um, that were um, you know seeded through trauma or through our experience in, in very young childhood 
can keep us from being able to change because they keep us trapped in this in this one story that was originally there to protect us but that's now outdated and not allowing us to move on so yeah that's why I work with the body and movement and somatic practices because I feel you know a lot of the key key information is really in the body and if we want to create change then we need to embody that change as well and go through the processes that allow us to unravel and disentangle some of those things I just mentioned about you know how these stories live in the body I mean the stories of the culture that we grew up with the stories of our family um, the stories of our um, ethnic groups or um, you know the, the cultures that we belong to so I, I work with people one-on-one -on -one and also in groups and I mean it can take very many different uh, forms so it's sometimes quite a uh, hard to sum it up but so it can take the form of a, a movement workshop or a movement class where really the the focus is about people coming back home into their bodies really reconnecting what it is like to be in a body to receive your own wisdom life's wisdom through your senses through through your inner landscape and through that to find you know the information or the guidance that that many of us are seeking um, and to also find that connection between what's going on inside and what's going on in the world, because if we're if we're not at home in ourselves, how can we feel the the things that are going on in the world around us? Whether that's another person's pain or joy, or the pain or joy that's in the non-human world, and we can only feel that if we can access that in ourselves. Um, so yeah, so it can take the form of movement classes, movement workshops. Um, it takes the form of one-on-one -on -one work that, for want of a better word, I would call coaching, but I feel sometimes that's not really doing it justice uh -huh. so much more than, than coaching. You know, I'm not a psychotherapist, but I, I would say when you're working one-on-one -on -one with people, it's somewhere in the, in the mix. There's a, a healing modality. There's a therapeutic way of working. There's coaching, but not coaching in the sense of like, okay, you know, we've got these goals and we work towards these goals, but more of a process of, unfolding of, of listening deeply to the person's own wisdom via their body and to hold space for that person to find out what it is that's true for them and that is right for them and that is their next step so it's it's much less of a you know fixed outcome uh, as maybe some traditional coaching is sort of geared towards but more of a journey of figuring out you know who is this person and what is their next step and, and what is it that gives them meaning in their life and then one of the other ways I work with people is by taking people outside into the outdoors and to explore through movement, through the senses, through play, through, um, you know, what some people would call nature connection. I don't really like using the word nature because it sort of implies that we are not nature, that we go out into nature when, you know, really that is part of the story of separation, that we go out there rather than being part of it. But to take people outside and to, to play and to be creative and to listen and to um, see the world around us, experience the world around us with fresh eyes, to listen to the conversation that life has with us as we are moving, moving around, as we're listening to our own bodies, as we're listening to what's coming back from the world around us. So I'm, I'm hearing in this that the, in the way that you're talking about the body, that this echo of 
what Joanna Macy talks about and many people talk about where we're getting this feedback through our bodies, through our sensations mm. about what what's going on in us, what's going on in the people around us and in the greater, more than human world around us. And that, tell me if I'm hearing you right, that that some of the unraveling that you help people do of stories that are held in the body is allowing for greater receptivity maybe would be the way Mm. to say it to to the signals that might be coming through uh, both from inside and outside yeah exactly and also to find more more ground in ourselves you know particularly now when we're talking about all these crises and challenges and you know plus the challenges that many people are facing on a personal level on a day-to-day basis plus the last two years you know, our nervous systems are, are frazzled and it's very easy to get into overwhelm, to get into despair, to get into helplessness and hopelessness. And so some of these practices are also really, and maybe that's where they fit with the holding actions. It's really just about giving ourselves enough ground to, to stay with it and to take care of ourselves, to take care of each other. Um, and then to have the ground from which we, can see what might be needed, what might be the next step. Because as long as we don't have any ground, if we're just rushing around in overwhelm and in this feeling of I need to do more or I can't do more, um, you know, it's very difficult to know what um, a clear and appropriate next step is. So partly it's really also about resourcing and, and finding the ground in our own bodies, finding the ground from which to first to feel and to sense and to experience what's going on in us and around us to feel the feelings that come whether it's the overwhelm or the despair the the fear the anxiety as well as of course the joy and the gratitude and the the awe of the beauty of life and to let those emotions move because as long as we're not allowing those emotions they what one of my teachers described is they're in a in a freezer and we need to power that freezer so a lot of our life energy gets stuck in powering that freezer to keep these emotions at bay whereas if we can let them move through the body a bit like water rather than having the water stagnant and getting sort of unhealthy and smelly we let the emotions move through so that they can find their natural um, flow through us and what I have seen and experienced myself again and again is when we allow the emotions to move they change one leads into another, just as in the in the active hope spiral, one one thing leads into another. Um, and really in all of the, the work that we connect, you know, if we can set the emotions free, then we also have more life energy to give to the things that we care about and the things that we want to want to do next. Yes, absolutely. I think it's really amazing how when we let ourselves feel the emotions, they don't last so very long. And even, Mm. even the ones that feel like they're going to overtake us. I mean, I, I just went through my own journey through the spiral anew reading, (laughs) reading about, um, yeah, some of the, some more climate crisis information and kind of what's already, what's already really collapsing. And I felt Mm. that, that, uh, heavy, heavy pull of despair and loss of meaning and uncertainty about how to go forward. And I, 
I at least had enough trust that if I let myself go there and feel it, something would shift. I didn't, Mm. I won't say I particularly thought, oh, I'm going to find hope again, you know, or anything Mm. like that. But I knew that going into it was, was the only way. And, and so I think even though I've seen it happen so many times, it was still like a, a relief and Mm. even a little bit of a surprise to find, oh, look, it, again, it didn't last again. It became something else became that experience of seeing with new eyes and, and reorienting yet again. Mm. I want to say, I love that, that metaphor of the freezer, because Mm. I've, I've often talked about a lid, you know, the energy that it takes to stuff things down or to keep a lid Mm. on or to, to build a dam in the river and, and all these ways that we can block the natural flow of our emotions or our truth. But the idea of the freezer uh, like you, I love language and, and it just, it just opened up this new way of looking at it because it is unnatural for us to be cold. We're, we're warm, alive beings and that kind mm. of holding things cold and, and frozen requires energy just like our, our appliances do to keep things yeah. cold in a room temperature environment. And so that just that highlights the unnaturalness, I think, for me, that we would be burning energy to keep something cold. Yeah. Yeah. And also it's a good metaphor, I think, because, you know, when you're defrosting things, things don't go from frozen to now they're available. It takes time, you know, it takes time to unfreeze our hearts. Um, I, I don't know if you've come across... Um, Oh, I don't know if I can pronounce his name right now, but there's a beautiful shaman from um, Greenland, Angangak, I think his name is. I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly, but he talks about melting the ice in the hearts of men as as a metaphor for what's needed at this time in terms of um, the climate crisis, in terms of the global challenges we're facing. And I think that's such a beautiful way of looking at it you know there's there's so much stuck in our freezer there's so much that's frozen in our hearts that if it could melt there would be momentum there would be flow there would be um yeah a kind of healing like you described from your own experience and I think the powerful thing about that is as you know from the work that reconnects because we don't do this just by ourselves we do it with each other and when we can be together with other people and share those feelings that come up and we can be together in our grief we can be together in our despair not to fix it not to find solutions not to get somewhere but just simply being together in this and witnessing each other and connecting in that place because the connection when we're in those places is so so deep that in itself is already healing you know that in itself is already part of what's needed in the world because it's it's overcoming this story that there's something wrong with us if we're feeling this or that we're alone in this if we're feeling this or that we need to keep it bottled up because it's not appropriate to share these feelings right so for me that's that community aspect is so powerful you know the vulnerability and the tenderness um, that comes in those places and I've, I've experienced that myself again and again and it's, we forget it <laughs> And it's mm-hmm. such a scary place to go to for, for most people. You know, it's, it's no, no one would go there voluntarily. I think even if you said it's going to be really good for you, no one yeah. would go there voluntarily. And so we have these processes that gradually lead us there, that gradually help us to unfreeze a little bit of the, the stuff that we've got in our freezer. And um, 
yeah, to see that we're not alone, to see that when we share this, something magical happens um, between people, you know, when we're in this place together. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this, what you mentioned earlier about not liking to use the word nature as though it's something else, you know, this kind of imagery about how we can have frozenness inside Mm. Or we can believe that we're separate, even from other humans, you know, this story Mm. of separation. How do we retell that and reconceive of ourselves as interconnected with other humans and interconnected with all of life on earth? I'm curious how you do like to speak about it, knowing that language is so important in the, in the way that we tell these stories and in terms of the internal great turning. Mm. Sometimes I say living the living earth or the Mm. web of life, uh, other than human. Yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? it? Because there's always this kind of thing of like, Oh God, now I'm going to have to use like a really long description because we don't have any good, good language for this, you know? Yeah. Uh, Nature is is so convenient because it's such a short word and one word. So Mm -hmm. I also use the web of life or the more than human world or the non-human world but it's so interesting that we don't have a a a nice kind of way of capturing this i think that's where you know our language is partly reflecting the the story we have about our separation and of course it's also reinforcing that story again and again and again and you know I'm, i'm always sort of confronted with this dilemma do i do i say the web of life or the the more than human world in all contexts or do I sometimes revert back to nature because I know in some some groups or with some people that will land better because you know that's what they used to and they understand what I mean when I say that when they might not understand what I mean if I say the web of life uh, I'm, I'm quite aware of you know how language also can exclude people or can alienate people and and there's always yeah. this inquiry with this kind of work how do we how do we how do we reach the people who are not already, you know, converted? I don't want to say converted, that sounds very religious, but who are not already on board and who are not already feeling the things that we're talking about. How do we right. reach those people? Because really we need everyone on board, right? We can't just yeah. keep um, preaching to the converted and, and expecting things to change and othering the rest of the world and saying, okay, so we're the ones who figured this out, but you're still the bad guys who are who are not coming on board so it's kind of like how we how we speak and how we present the challenges as well as the the processes and the the joys of being in this kind of process I think that can impact a lot about uh, around how we reach people you know yeah yeah and I guess that applies also more generally I mean when I think about the work that reconnects sometimes it, it's um you know, how do we describe what it is without alienating some people? Because as I said, no one voluntarily wants to go and feel big feelings and go deep. So it's also, how do we convey the joy and the meaning and the purpose that comes from doing this work, whilst also acknowledging that it's a deep process that brings up deep feelings, that brings up stuff that we generally try to avoid feeling you know I I wonder what your experience has been with that like how do you speak about it yeah um, in a way that includes people that invites people that inspires people yeah I 
I like to talk about more on the other end, you know, coming out with more clarity, with more sense of aliveness. I, I really mm. love that concept mm. that we come more fully alive. Um, I think I probably am often speaking to people who are, as you said, on board. So I mm. can say things like meet these times with more courage, creativity, resilience, aliveness, and they're going, yes, yes, that's what I want, you know? Um, But I think I I also don't shy away from talking about unblocking what we've stuffed down. Personally, Mm. I'm often also weaving it with Chinese medicine. And so that, like you, the personal wellness along with the collective. And so in Chinese medicine, we talk about qi stagnation within the individual. And so the idea that unblocking our truth and unblocking our emotions lets us have the energy available to be healthy. I think that it's exactly the same, you know, to talk about the community practices and, but I do, uh, you know, on the, as far as language and the word nature, I, I do use that word always with that little, uh, (laughs) nagging (laughs) little asterisk, (laughs) you know, but you know, my kids use that word and they, they say, Mm. we want to get out into nature and, and they mean it in the most heartfelt way that you and I are talking about it. It's just, that's just the word they have for it. And so, you know, I don't correct them, you know, or try to say, you know, when you say that, it sounds like you're not part of nature. I think that they feel that we are part of nature and it's, it's Mm. more of a, a, a short way of saying thriving life that wasn't built by humans. And, you know, that that's their word for being out in the woods and playing by the Creek. And so I think just honoring that for what it is and respecting anybody's language for what they intend by it also Mm. uh, has, has value. Yeah, sometimes I talk about inner and outer nature, you know, which really connects to the sense that there's a continuum and that one thing that we feel on the inside is also there on the outside and vice versa. And, um, you know, that that is really the center of taking people outdoors and, and seeing the more than human world as a, as a mirror, as a guide, as a, as a teacher and feeling the intelligence of life that's present both in us mm-hmm. and around us, you know, that it's, that it's the same thing really. Oh yeah. Beautiful. The intelligence of life. Mm. Yeah. Because I mean, how can it not be, you know, we're made of the same elements as everything else. We're made of earth, we're made of sun, made of water, we're made of air. Mm-hmm. And so we have the same intelligence of life that is in every rock and every tree. And that's evolved over, over billions of years that's adapted to all these different circumstances over, over this time. Yeah. And so I guess that is, that is where I also find hope, you know, in this sense that there's something that a human mind cannot understand that you can't unpack in the way that we like to kind of take things apart in this, this kind of very mechanistic way something that's so complex and so beautiful and so beyond human understanding that Mm -hmm. um, has evolved over all this time and that holds solutions that we can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, once I had this experience, I was watching a a nature documentary. (laughs) There you go again, nature documentary. A documentary about the deep seas. And, you know, there's these amazing creatures, these, you can't, you can't imagine, I mean, no human designer would come up with these 
fantastical creatures of light and color and different shapes. And when you see them, when I saw them in this documentary, I thought, wow, if something like this can exist, if this is possible, if this has been made by life, I mean, what else is possible? You know, what, mm -hmm. what else that we can't even fathom with our limited human thinking minds is, is there that, that can come forth and can support us and can maybe present us with, with possibilities that, yeah, we cannot think up. You know, we can only perhaps tap into it via the intelligence of life as it is in our bodies, in our hearts, yeah. in our minds together. You know, the mind is not a bad thing, but it's, it's on its own. It doesn't stand a chance, I think, in, in these circumstances. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and, and trying to figure it all out is probably more counterproductive than helpful. Yeah. But yeah, I, I also take a lot of heart in knowing that there's many, many, many things I can't even imagine. That's really a relief because <laughs> I, I'm not imagining, you know, um, all the things that I hope for. You know, I can't imagine our way, our way to yeah. those, but. Yeah, we sort of get stuck there huh? because we we kind of find it so hard to imagine what it could look like. We yep. all have a we have a longing for something different. We have a longing for a world that is thriving and more just, and where you know we're not destroying the planet, we're not hurting each other, we're not hurting animals and plants and trees. But we don't spend a lot of time imagining what that would be like in great detail and I think we often get stuck on the but how would we get there because it yes. seems so complex because there's so many systems there's so many things that would need changing and um, I feel really inspired by Rob Hopkins who I don't know if you've come across him he was the he is the founder of the transition town movement and he also wrote this book from what is to what if sorry from from what is to what if so he gets people to think about what would it be like like imagine a, a day in your life in this future beautiful world what would that be like on quite a detailed level and then you know imagine how did we get there to think back but not to get stopped by the oh well we don't know how to get there mm -hmm. and what he talks about a lot is you know our our failure of imagination and our kind of weak imagination muscle so to speak you know i don't know he cites some studies around how much our, um, our capacity to imagine things has diminished over the last few decades because, of course, we are on, on computers all the time. We are on these sort of instant social media um, interfaces. We are, we are not reading anymore. We spend very little time when we are adults imagining things. We spend mm -hmm. a lot of time just, just doing things and just receiving things passively whether that's you know netflix or things online but as a child you have this vast imagination and things are possible that you know the rational mind says are not possible so he's really encouraging people to practice that imagination muscle more so that we can you know create a vision of what we're moving towards because if we don't have a vision of where we want to go we don't have a a chance to even navigate there you know we need, mm -hmm. we need to have some sense of orientation of what this future might look like even even if it you know each of us holds just one little piece of that information um, right yeah 
that they would come back to the collective and to the community. You know, if we can together vision these things, if we can spend time together imagining and sharing our individual visions with each other and craft collective visions, then that would be a beautiful thing. Yeah, that would be a beautiful thing. And it and it it only makes sense to me that that would be the way that, you know, none of us mm. see it, none of us see it all, none of us imagine it all. And so again, with uh, not maintaining our separation, our illusion of separation, mm. to let go of the idea mm. that any, any one mind or heart or imagination is going to get the whole story yeah, and exactly. the whole purpose. And as you know, from having these conversations with people on your podcast, I mean, amazing things happen in conversations that, you know, when we sit by ourselves with a piece of paper or notebook or a computer, those things don't come out. But all of a sudden we find ourselves in that conversation and things that we didn't know we knew come out or things yeah. that we didn't know we believed get spoken. And there's yep. some magical spark that comes when we with each other. Yes. Yes. And this is what I what I wanted to ask you about in your work with people. You you talk about you know finding this finding what's yours and and finding it in a way that feels meaningful and and joyful and in community. And I don't know if this is mm. something you can answer with a with any examples or a general overview, but. I'm so curious if you are getting to sit with people through this kind of somatic work and, and watching them realize these things, like actually find more sense of their purpose and what is theirs to do and, and how they're going to do whatever they're going to do next, or maybe not mm. do maybe be, you know, what's, what's that like in their in that seeking, you know, that, that, that people are coming to you with. What I, what I find, I mean, I'm, I'm also just thinking about my own experience of this. It's like we often sort of look in the wrong direction or we, we, we're kind of thinking that there's something out there that we have to get. I know for myself, I mean, for many years, I was always deeply upset when I saw someone who had a specific skill, like someone who was great at singing or someone who was great at art, painting, or someone who had a very, a very clear um talent or skill set and I'd be like what's mine you know I don't have anything like that I'm not a good mm -hmm. good painter I'm not a not a musician I'm not a this and I'm not that and it would really upset me but what I realized over time was that you know I was looking I was equating purpose or my gift with a job or a specific thing and then I realized that there's something else that there, there is a maybe a sense of what my gift is or what I'm bringing that is not, um, that can't be named in one sort of specific thing, but that filters out through me in many different ways. That, that informs the way I walk when I'm going for a walk in the forest and the way I look at the world, informs the way I relate to other people. It informs the way I move or I, you know, it, it kind of, it can take many different expressions. It doesn't have to be one job or one title or one skill set. And I think there's something in that for many people. I think particularly for people who are perhaps in longing to make a contribution, who want to somehow contribute to positive change in the world. But their only um, template for that is 
maybe activism, being out in the street or working for an NGO or working on a community project. And so in some conversations with people, I've discovered that because people don't think they are that, they then go like, oh, well, then, I, then I'm not a change maker, then I'm not really contributing anything. I'm only a change maker if I if I'm out there in the world doing these big things. And so I guess for me, the, the question is always, what have been the, the threads that have been with us all our lives that have provided meaning, that have provided a sense of direction that sometimes we've dismissed because they're not like big things? And how do the, those different threads come together in their own unique way through that one person? You know, how do these different, um, some of them are experiences, some of them are skills, some of them are passions or interests, but how do they come together and create this this very unique node of, of something. And what is that? How can that go out into the world? How does that relate to the things that are needed? What kind of qualities does the person bring? And and you know how how does that um, impact the world around them? So rather than getting stuck on oh it needs to be a job or it needs to be something out there to also make that connection again with the beingness, with the who, who am I at my core? What are the qualities that I'm bringing into the world? And, you know, to encourage people to see the sort of non-official <laughs> things, you know, someone might be a, a wonderful mother and the mothering and the bringing up of the children is their, their um, role or, or father. Someone might be a gardener or someone ha might have a special relationship with old people and the way that they, they are taking care of, of their parents. It's like, it doesn't have to always be this thing that's um, more and more action and more um, external activity, if that makes sense. Because I think yeah. we have a lot of that already and our whole culture is, is geared around this sort of external success. And in a way, it, that is very much linked to the capitalist system and to the, the work ethic that comes with that. And so, you know, you can see how when everyone's striving in that way, that is also part of what is destroying our, our planet. So how can we right. find ways that are more about being and being enough, not needing to be more than even in our personal lives, you know, the, the whole um, exploitation of the earth is, is based on this need for something more you know we need to produce more so we need to dig deeper so we need to take more metals out of the ground and in a way we do that with ourselves as well you know we never feel enough so we need to pile things on top we need to buy more or we need to be someone else or we need to be bigger or have more money more status all these things so there's, there's always this parallel between the stories that we see playing out in the world and the way we relate to ourselves so for me, that's like a really central inquiry in, in working with people. You know, what am I here to give? Doesn't always have this very neat description. Yes, I'm so glad that you expanded on all of that because I think I was wondering, you know, in this sort of external way about people realizing, okay, I, I'm on a mission now, you know, to protect the waterways or to plant mm -hmm. trees or to work for some kind of social justice or to write and make music. And, you know, even if it's not activism, that there would be, there would, there would be a doing to it uh, with a sense of purpose, which uh, again, 
you know, just reveals how that story still lives in me. Mm. As I imagine people sitting with you in this, with this intention of finding out more about what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. But Mm. I, I completely agree with you. And it's still something that I'm dancing with is this experience of enoughness and Mm. how truly transformative it is in the inner and the outer world to sit with already enough Mm. and, and, you know, love our children, love our parents and let, let that, I loved how you said it's, it's seeping out of me, you know, filtering Mm. out of me, Mm. you know? Yeah. Sometimes I have this sort of image of, um, I think I use it with one of my clients um, because she was sort of describing the different things that she's involved in. Um, I think it was something with theater and then some um, Extinction Rebellion activism and then some other things. And she was like, but then they don't really all fit together or I don't see how they fit together. And so I'm kind of compartmentalizing myself and doing a bit of this and I'm doing a bit of that, but it's all very overwhelming because it's all one thing on top of the other or one thing alongside each other. They don't, you know, they don't come together and, we arrived at this beautiful image of all these different things um, being, you know, like the different, uh, if you think about a stained glass window and these different rays of light of different colors all coming together to create the whole, like the the unique filter that each of us is of all these different streams of light, um, like a prism, you know, all these different colors coming together and then they're producing the white light that you see. That's beautiful. Uh, so that's that's kind of, I feel like a nice metaphor for it, you know, that we're all made up of these different aspects. And yes, there are there are other people who are um, facilitators of the work that we connect, or there are other people who are Chinese medicine practitioners, but only you are the person that has those specific experiences and those specific skills and that particular placing where you are in the world. And no one else has that specific combination of things, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that stained glass image. That is a beautiful way to to frame the, I I, I hear that too from people, you know, how does it all fit together? And it's like, well, it just is together. (laughs) It's right Mm. there. You are the thing that fits it together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and the light comes through it all. It's beautiful. Well, before we wrap up, Petra, this has been so wonderful. I'm wondering if there's anything else that is on your mind you want to share before we close, and especially if you have any kind of invitation or suggestion for people who are feeling moved by what we've been talking about, something they might try or feel into for themselves. Mm. Oh, there's so many things I could suggest. I mean, one one part of me just wants to say, you know go put on a piece of music you love and move to it and experience yourself in that way and see what happens mm-hmm. when you move your body whatever state you start in see what happens as you move and, and where you end up with it um and you know another part of me wants to say you can do that without music or you can go out for a walk and just experience yourself as a as a being that's made up of the same elements as everything around you that you know your body is earth like how does that feel to to really experience yourself as earth how does it feel to really experience that there's sunlight in all your cells that you've taken in through the food that you eat how is it to 
really feel not just conceptually but to really experience the water inside your body because the the planet and the body have the same ratio of land mass to to water isn't that beautiful that we have that so clearly demonstrates to us that we are we are the earth we are the planet you know that we have this this particular ratio of 70% approximately water and the rest earth mm-hmm. land and you know how is it to to feel yourself as as the air not as a concept but like how do how does air move in you and through you um and you know i like to mostly do this through dance through through movement practices through the movement medicine practices that i teach and that i practice how is it to connect with the elements inside of us and what happens when we when we tune into that aspect of ourselves like what do we discover what what might it offer to us in terms of support to know that we are the water and that we have all the qualities of water in us how can we move from that place and by move i mean not just move as in dance but you know how do we move into the world from that place how do we tackle the challenges we're facing from that place what does it mean to be made of earth when i'm looking at like what i need to do in a in a given day or a question i have like what can the earth offer me the earth of my own body and the the earth all around me and everything that i see is made of earth so i guess i would just invite people and ourselves because I, i'm not excluding myself from it it's easy to forget and you know we need reminders constantly to mm-hmm. to experience ourselves in that in that embodied way rather than to come from our from our head only and to kind of look at the world through these very fixed categories but to keep practicing this experiencing ourselves as as something that is also all around us as the elements as as in our outer nature. Mm. Wow, that's a fantastic invitation that the whole thing. I mean, I could like you said just go take a walk and feel into these things, but I could also imagine meditating on each one of those for a week. You know what happens <laughs> exactly. if it's it's if never I ending myself <laughs> as water. Just that question, what what support do I find in 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 feeling water? The, the wateriness mm. of of me and the earth of me so thank you yeah, for that I mean, it's, it's like like joanna macy's active hope spiral you know it's a spiral it doesn't end we don't do it once yeah. and then we've got it and then it's done it's like an ongoing yeah. process and as humans we forget and then we remember or we have mm-hmm. someone who reminds us and then we forget again and then we remember but each time we remember we remember a little bit more deeply yeah yeah we spiral a little deeper in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so, so very much for this whole conversation, everything you shared, everything you're doing. I just loved hearing about it. Mm, it's a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you. It's, it's good to have these conversations and it brings up, you know, brings up new information to the surface, even, even within. Yes. You know what I mean? Hmm. I do. I do. And before I let you go, tell everyone who's listening, where is the best place to find you online and connect with you? Um, so my website is currently uh, under reconstruction, uh, but it will be beingoftheearth.com. But okay. in the meantime, you can find me under Being of the Earth on Facebook and on Instagram and also on Medium. So I've got longer articles on, on Medium, um, but a lot of the themes that we talked about today Uh, yeah, those are the, the three best places for now. Okay, perfect. I'll link to all of those places and look forward to staying in touch. Yeah. Thank you so much, Leilani. 
and thank you for listening. If this has been interesting or supportive for you, if you would think of one friend who might appreciate it and send the link their way, right from whatever app you're listening in, you can text it to them or email it to them. That would mean the world to me. And if you'd like to stay in touch, please come to turningseason.com and enter your email address to stay updated on new episodes. We'll have one more whole month go by. I'll be back on the full moon in July. Until then, thank you again for listening and for all the ways you play your part.